There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Political Party. And I have to apologise for the amount of time that it's taken to uh, put this podcast out. It's very busy over the festive period. So this is uh, the first of two podcasts uh, from the end of last year. Um, the next podcast with David Davis will be out uh, next week. This is the one with Stella Creasy, and uh, Stella was quite the guest um, in the second half. Uh, you will hear um, the atmosphere change a little bit uh, at points. She was a fantastic guest, and um, different to some of the others that we've had on. So uh, I hope you enjoy the show, and uh, I'll see you on the other side. Hello, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm Matt Ford. Welcome to the political party. Give me a cheer if you've been here before. Yeah, 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 excellent. Uh, give me a chip if you've never been here before. Well, excellent, about half and half, marvellous stuff. Well, welcome one and all. Uh, I'm surprised, to be honest, that, that any of you made it out after Russell Brand basically said that politics wasn't worth bothering with anymore. If you haven't seen it, he did an interview on Newsnight where he said that voting has never changed anything, that all politics is rubbish, basically, and that all politicians are only there to serve corporations, right, which is a sort of really quite dreadful argument, and one that's totally ignorant as far as I'm concerned. But the problem is with Russell Brand is because of the way he speaks. Because he just bombards people with language. People think, I didn't get a word of that, but he must be right. <laughs> so he just, he just shits words out at people and they go, God, I don't want to look stupid here. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, the problem is with him, he overcomplicates everything. You can't have a normal conversation with someone like Russell Brand. It's all bullshit. He can't talk normally. Imagine having a conversation about anything. I I engorge myself in a a cacophony of delectables. You've had a pie, mate. You've had a pie, now chill out and have a good nap like everyone else who has a good pie. And he's sort of this idea that sort of, oh, politics is boring. The point is, right, I find politics fascinating and I hope that most of you do as well. But the day-to-day stuff of politics necessarily is not exciting. It's important. There are things that need sorting out. Laws that need to be passed, even at a local level. Decisions have to be made, often in long, drawn-out committees, and that is not going to be fireworks. And if Russell Brand ever got involved in local politics, he would make it absolute hell. It's meant to be for boring, largely old people. (laughs) I want to see Russell Brand, and, well, imagine that, working at a local council. Okay, uh, welcome to the latest... uh, uh, AGM of uh, Nottingham City Council. Uh, Mr. Brand uh, is going to uh, campaign on something this afternoon, so Mr. Brand, you have the floor. Imagine him campaigning on anything locally. Ladies and gentlemen of Nottingham City Council, our tacit complicity in the Orwellian agenda must cease. We as sentient beings must augment ourselves beyond artificial corporate constructs. And that is why I oppose the use of traffic common measures in King Street. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute, absolute swaddle. I'm not even sure that even sounds like Russell Brand, to be quite honest. But my main problem with it, sometimes I think, you know what? I used to be a big fan of Russell Brand, uh, certainly of his comedy. Maybe it's just the fact that he's the sort of person that he is that makes me not engage with what he's saying. Because actually, he said some quite pertinent things. We know that a lot of people aren't engaged in politics, and I think he sort of understood the reasons why. What he gave was no solution. 
But I do understand that. It's the same thing as when I now am more likely to agree with a person than I am with an opinion, which I think is unhealthy in politics, right? If I'm at a house party and I meet someone who says, uh, yeah, well, politics is all just PR now, isn't it? You get total, absolute shit, mate. You don't even know what you're talking about. Have you ever even worked in politics? I bet you haven't got a single clue about what politics is about. If Andrew Neil said it, I'd go, you know what, he's got a point. <laughs> you know what, I mean, he, I think he knows what he's talking about, that guy. It's really bad. I mean, I'm in a position now where I've been political for so long, about 16, 17 years, a member of the Labour Party, that I've got to a point now where I've got two opinions on everything. <laughs> I mean, I don't know whether that just means I'm definitely new Labour or what. Maybe it does, but I've got two opinions on everything, and it de- just depends on who I'm talking to. I could talk to someone who'd say, you know what, I think the NHS is phenomenal. I think it's one of our proudest achievements, and I don't want this coalition mucking around with it. And you go, yeah, sort of agree, but, you know, it needs reform, doesn't it? You know, I think having everything run from Whitehall is a, is a bad idea. Get it out. I haven't got a problem with private sector involvement. The moment I then talk to someone who goes, I think we should privatise the NHS. You monster. <laughs> God, Please. What you, I'm getting home thinking, I've got no idea what I actually think. I think, I'm, I, think I agree with everybody. <laughs> this is really bad. I've once, cha- I've once held two opinions in the same sentence. <laughs> Elected police chiefs, gah, absolute nightmare. They will fundamentally undermine local police forces. They'll put the public voice at the heart of policing, and that's why I support them. Hang on a minute. <laughs> what the hell just happened there? But I like to think, I like to think even though I'm political, I'm fairly normal, right? Uh, maybe I'm not. But I watched last week footage of the youth parliament taking out oh no. <laughs> in in parliament. It is the most dreadful. Like I think I got involved early in politics, but I was normal because I I got pissed and watched boxing and <laughs> football and oasis and all that. I was still. I would never have got involved in the youth parliament. Right? I watched it. I cannot believe. I mean. I don't want to go too far. I won't over the, the pudding. But has anyone seen footage of it? Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen footage of it? That is a room of people that makes you think, I'm no fan of paedophiles. <laughs> but maybe they could have controlled uses. <laughs> or at least a school bully. I mean, this is... <laughs> There are some people there that have never, never been told off, never been told no. And what's odd about people who get that involved? 14. What are you campaigning about at 14? What is your manifesto? I'll tell you what your manifesto is. If you're getting involved, if you want to get elected to anything at 14, guaranteed the stuff you're getting elected on is stuff that the rest of your class would beat you up for. (laughs) I think we should have healthy school meals. Yes, I'm going to run a manifesto for healthy school meals. Shut your fucking mouth, man. Apart from at home, that's the only place I can get chips. (laughs) You don't want to be encouraging these people. And what's odd about, whenever you watch these things, and I I encourage you to see how long you can last. I lasted about a minute. Uh, And they're all there in Parliament, all in their suits and stuff like that. (laughs) The only ever young politicians you get are either rampant Tories or or really wet nerds. You never get any socialist firebrands at 13. You only ever get those that say... And that's why we need to take action on homework and on school bus journeys. With that passion, like you can't be that passionate and be that fake. Oh, the wet ones, they just go, 
I think um, we should do more uh, locally uh, to help the badger population uh, of Wiltshire um, because they deserve our love and our support. <laughs> you never get a 13-year-old Dennis Skinner. There's not a single person in that youth parliament that's going to... Imagine a 12-year-old going, I'll tell you another thing about the teachers and the aristocracy and the hierarchy that run this place. Trying to sell us chips on Friday to fatten us up to make us lazy at weekends so we can't go out on us paper round earning us wages. Never happens. Maybe it should. Oh, my God. Uh, talking of people who get themselves into too much trouble, this month there have been two uh, key individuals. Uh, one over in Canada, Mayor Rob Ford. Fordy, what a legend. Wow. Oh, that's a mayor I want to work for. People say the elected mayoral model doesn't work. Bullshit. Check out Toronto. It's working fine. They're having a whale of a time with that over there, aren't they? <laughs> Never mind a leader in cabinet model. Go elect a mayor. See what happens. And about your mind. It looks phenomenal. What I loved about Rob Ford, the first thing that came to my attention was, for those of you who don't know, he's the mayor of Toronto. He's still the mayor. But I think he's denied and then admitted to um, taking various things. So they, they put a compilation on YouTube. This is chronological. And the first one's of him going, uh, I do not drink uh, in the workplace. These are serious allegations. Uh, I, I, I do not. I, my, this my enemy's trying to smear me. And it's like the following day. I had the ad drink in the workplace. I think this is... <laughs> But look, I would not misuse public office. Then it's like a week later. These allegations that I took cocaine whilst making decisions are scurrilous rumors. I will fight them with every fiber of my body the following day. I may have taken cocaine. <laughs> I, I can't remember. Then it was one on crystal meth, one on using prostitutes, one on like propositioning female members. of He's still mayor of Toronto, right? They've clipped his wings a bit. They've removed some of his executive powers. I used to work for the elected mayor of Stoke-on-Trent. He tried to close a splash pool. They had a referendum and got rid of him. What the fuck? What? What? Surely. Surely. I mean, in retrospect, I'd have gone, mate, we're on our way out. Past the crack pipe. Here we go. And by the way, Rob Ford, mate, you don't take the drugs yourself. You're in politics. Give drugs to your opponents. That would have been incredible. Although, him taking coke, surely they must have smelled a rat when his entire council speech plus questions was three minutes. I would love to see a leader of a council on coke just stood there, Mayor Rob Ford, giving his annual address, going, uh, OK, uh, despite the fiscal control placed on us by central government, we kept taxes low, prioritised key capital projects, because I'm the man, the Prime Minister knows it, I'm more popular than the mayor, i got better ideas, come on, let's go somewhere, man, i got so much energy! God, I love democracy. Jeez. I can't feel my dick, man. Good old 40, eh? Jesus. And then, of course, uh, Mr. Flowers. Uh, does anyone here bank with a co-op bank? One guy, two people. Two people who know for a fact their money has gone on crystal meth. Yeah. Shit. They cut, the, they cut their interest rates last year just to keep him in sniff. Um... I actually feel quite sorry for... Does anyone feel sorry for Paul Flowers? I don't know why I feel sorry for him. I think it's because he's slightly elderly. I sort of respect him. You know what? The guy, a chair of a bank, who I think was a vicar as well, wasn't he? He was a Methodist, a crystal Methodist. He was... Uh, 
Oh, no, maybe that's maybe I'm slightly odd in sort of feeling sorry for him. But I, I I felt for him a bit. Um, one man I still um, don't have any sympathy for, and what, I, Ed Miliband is is someone I need to. Uh, I know this happens every month, and I, you know what? I'm trying to like him. I'm really trying to like Ed Miliband, but I I can't. It's very very difficult. I, it's just he went on Desert Island Discs, right? Anyone hear it? Yeah, quite a lot of people. Oh, that's good, that's good. I mean, when I heard Ed Miliband was going to be on a desert island, when I found out it was a metaphor, I was gutted. I said, oh, shit. That's the answer. That's great. Just get him over there. We're absolutely fine. What was, for those of you that didn't listen to it, what I quite liked about it and his performance on it was that he spoke in quite soothing, hushed tones. I think it's because he knew he was on Radio 4 and he had his headphones on and uh, he could, uh, he was in, uh, his own voice, uh, uh, and he said, uh, uh, no, no, come on, uh, 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 we're better than this, please. But it was quite a nice sort of golden brown, you know, from the chest cavity, he said, uh, uh, you know, um, I chose this song uh, because my mother uh, played it to me. And it was quite a soothing, and it reminded me, did, I, did anyone ever used to listen to Graham Torrington's Late Night Love? He used to be on, on, that must be the only person who's ever heard it. It was basically late night commercial radio in the 90s. There used to be this guy called Graham Torrington, certainly in the East Midlands area. And what it was, was people would ring in for relationship advice, but people would listen to laugh, right? That was the sort of basis of it. And he would have one of those, you're right, guys? How's it going? I, I can hear you. I'm not on meth. The voices in my head are yours. All right, we'll, you'll have questions in the second half, and then we can have a chat then. All right, mate. Uh, but he, Graham Torrington used to do this late-night love thing. Uh, we'd sort of talk like that. Okay, we've got Joni on the line. Uh, Joni, what's going on? Well, Graham, um, my relationship's breaking down. And um, Look, what I think you need to do is just talk to the guy, yeah? And it was like, really lovely. And I thought, Ed Miliband's voice was almost... I thought he was going into late-night love. I thought it was going to be quite a nice... If Ed Miliband was the host, I think maybe that's where his future lies. He's got quite a nice, soft persona. He cares about people. He should do a late night, sort of, broken hearts. Um, I think, uh, okay, uh, our first caller tonight is, uh, is Julie. Uh, Julie, <laughs> Julie, uh, what's, what's the problem in your relationship? Uh, well, uh, Ed, um, me, my husband has, has moved out, um, uh, is that because of the bedroom tax? Uh, <laughs> no, no, I was cheating on him uh, with with his brother. Um, uh, and, and I'll tell you what the saddest thing is about this, uh, is, is that the coalition did absolutely nothing. That's <laughs> uh, it. Get him on something like that, Miliband. I'll be up for that. But there was, he was, his choices were quite interesting because he's, a lot of his choices were because other people had played this music to him. So he's like, I, I, I wanted to choose this song because it reminds me of uh, my father. Uh, and he played it to me uh, when I was a child. Uh, and it brings back uh, those memories. And they were all his reasons were like, because of other people. I was like, all my songs would be because I like them. Do you know what I mean? I'd have Don't Look Back in Anger. Because it reminds me of singing it at the top of my lungs when I'm pissed. I'd have Wonderwall. Because it reminds me of singing it at the top of the lungs when I'm pissed. <laughs> and of some mites, I think I've got a problem. Uh, he actually chose, one of his songs was Sweet Caroline. Uh, the, you know, the Neil Diamond, isn't it? And it's the most sung karaoke song of all time, I think, uh, Sweet Caroline. And he said, uh, I, you know, I chose this uh, because uh, I used to do this at karaoke. Now, the idea of Red Miliband doing karaoke makes me happy. 
I would love to see Ed Miliband. You know those ones where, um, when the screen comes up, it's got a picture of a singing fly on it? Well, I, don't, well, I don't know why that's become the sort of international emblem of karaoke. But I love the idea of sort of Ed Miliband at the bar, sort of settling his nerves with a few snifters first. And then... Hearing the DJ go, okay, okay, we're going to have, uh, coming up next, it's Sweet Caroline. Uh, it's Ed Miliband in here. Where's Ed Miliband? Going to be singing Sweet Caroline. Join in if you know the words, guys. Thanks. We're at the gal bar. <laughs> I can't begin to knowing. Oh. But then, I know it's growing strong, and I'm not talking about the economy. Uh, uh, was in the spring, uh, and then spring became summer, and, and that's the problem with global warming, is that you come along. Hands are <laughs> touching hands, but only if you want me to, I'll enforce this somebody. Reaching out, <laughs> touching me, but not on my own. Touching you, all together. Joy, joy, sweet Caroline. <laughs> Times never felt so good. And that's the problem with growth is that it can be temporary. Uh, <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ed Miliband sings the show tunes. Go. <laughs> I've had the best week practicing that. Uh, there we go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, in the second half, we will have uh, Stella Creasy uh, joining us on stage for uh, an hour or so of questions. As always, if you do have a question, indicate clearly. I'll try and get around as many people as possible. Uh, Stella's probably the youngest guest we've had so far and the newest MP as well. So she'll give us a unique perspective on what life is like in uh, Ed Miliband's Labour Party and, uh, you know, what it's like to be a young MP in Parliament and all the rest of it. So thanks for coming down. For the time being, I've been Matt Ford. Thank you very much. See you in a bit. Bye. Welcome back to the second half. Uh, now, uh, for those of you who have been before, you know what happens here. We have a different politician every month. Uh, who we uh, interview about their career. Partway through uh, this section, I will open uh, the floor up for questions. Uh, please be respectful. Please do try and keep your questions as short as possible. And I'll ask uh, Stella to, to keep her answers uh, as short as possible as well in that section so that we can, you know, people in the room feel like they've had a question, they've, they've had the opportunity to, uh, to have it asked and uh, give a lot of your love and respect. I've met Stella before, actually, I should declare this. Uh, we met uh, in a bar in Camden where... Um, <laughs> Uh, no, in fact, no, 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 we, we didn't get on at all, uh, because uh, she hates Oasis, um, which I thought was going to, I thought you were with me on that, uh, uh, petrified that you aren't. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Stella Creasy. Stella, welcome to the show. I can't believe you're playing Coldplay in um, tracksuits when I come on. That's... That was uh, She's Electric by Oasis, um, on the most important rock and roll album that was ever released. <laughs> this isn't meant to be the Laughing funny bit. Laughing you, not with you. <laughs> you, not with you. Uh, Stella, well, what a time to, to have you here. Um, you're the sort of 
woman of the moment with what's gone on with the person of the moment, with what's gone on with payday lenders. You've forced not only your own party into position, but you've... you've you can effectively... call me a woman, Matt. It's fine. I'm comfortable with that. So... <laughs> I know I'm the first one I've had up on this stage. For him. Let's see if I can make it not the last. No, oh, absolutely. No, no, no. <laughs> Slight hint of regret there already. It's brilliant. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. no, no. I'm, just, I'm just trying to find a political way of saying I always welcome women without saying like <laughs> <laughs> are, are, are some of your best friends women? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, um, is I, that a binder? No, sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. no. It's, um, no well, I've asked. I've asked uh, <laughs> this, see, the problem is I'm now in a situation where I can't say the right thing. Um, obviously, I've approached um, people from across the political spectrum, men and women, uh, and not every politician wants to come... Uh, and do the show. So uh, I wasn't your first choice then. <laughs> you, there were, there were, there were various first choices, um, and you, you were one of them. <laughs> you make me bad like Alan Partridge. I'm not. This is. A, uh, I haven't got a problem with women. Uh, uh, as long as I don't speak too much. Uh, <laughs> just want to be clear. That was me doing an impression. That is not my opinion. Um, this, uh, you're the sort of. You're the politician of the moment. <laughs> You're the female of the moment. You're the woman, the female, uh, <laughs> the girl, the, um, the, uh, the extra chromosome. The, um... Are you calling me a chimp? Oh, Christ, God, no. God, no. God, no. Um, right. Uh, but the, the position on payday loans, obviously, where you force the government to, to accept there needs to be a cap on, on payday lenders on what you would call legal loan sharks, is a massive... Uh, uh, Success for you, isn't it? It's very rare you see backbenchers have an influence on government policy, particularly when they're in the opposition. Why do you think you've been able to be more successful than other politicians in this area? Uh, what, in turning George Osborne into a Marxist? <laughs> um, I, I, look, it, you know, it would be lovely to say, yes, it's been entirely me. Actually, it's because people across the country have participated in the Sharkstoppers campaign, and whether at local government level or with their local credit union or lobbying their MP and pushing them about the votes, we've made the case that it isn't just enough to be horrified when you see an advert and you think, I've misread where the decimal point is. There has to be an alternative way of running this, and, and that's what we've had. We've always had an argument about what you could do to tackle these things. Um, but, you know, I wish I could claim all the credit for it. It's not. It's, it's been a whole movement of people through the Shark Stoppers campaign. But why did you... I mean, there were many just causes in Britain, aren't there? You know, the getting rid of the spare room subsidies, the bedroom tax, there's, you know, Banning benefits. Play, yeah. <laughs> Various things that people that are injustices, that people care strongly about. What was it particularly about Wonga and people like that that made you want to get involved? It's really simple. Look, I, you know, the community I represent in Walthamstow, God's own country, as I like to call it. Um, you know, I, I've lived there for 14 years. I'd started to see these shops kind of pop up on the high street. I, I'd been a councillor previously, so I'd worked with people in the, the credit union. But suddenly, you could see a lot of people struggling, and people were coming into my surgery saying, I'm going to lose my house next week because of debt, and starting to look at why they were in debt. You could see it wasn't just these loans, but these loans were the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, there were 11 of these shops when I started campaigning on it in 2010 when I got into Parliament. There are now, in fact, in fact, on the day that George Osborne gave in, another one of these shops opened up in Walthamstow. So there's now 18 of them, 19 of them in Walthamstow alone. But actually, that's not unique in London. So you could see the damage they were doing before we even got onto the online lending. And, and you just sort of think, I can't just keep dealing with the people who are in debt. We need to do something to stop this altogether. Because some people, and uh, I don't know if anyone here has ever used uh, a payday lender. I have. Uh, I used the money shop in Nottingham about ten years ago when I just needed to get some money that, very fast. That, <laughs> that, <laughs> um, that sounds 
Is that, is that, is that an advert? <laughs> but, yeah. But I did use them, and the interest was, was you know, it was bad, but that one off hit, it didn't feel too bad. I mean, is there a, is there a positive case? <laughs> uh, genuinely, that's not. I've just been paid by check, and I needed the money. We can go back to talking about feminism. <laughs> um, but is there not a, a devil's advocate case to say that actually, um, when people just need them for a short amount of time, they can plug the gap and stop them, you know, getting yeah, the house repossessed? I've never been campaigning to ban payday lending because people need short-term credit. Look, this has been a recession like no other recession because instead of prices and wages staying broadly equivalent, actually prices have gone up and wages have gone down. So inevitably, a lot more people are going to be, you know, too much months at the end of their money. Um, that not everybody gets into a problem with payday lending isn't the point. The way in which these companies make their money is by getting you to borrow. They get you to hook into their system. 50% of the profits in this industry come from default charges. So the whole of the industry is wired to get you to be at a point where either you have to roll over your loan so you default on it, or because you've lent, borrowed from them the previous month, you're going to have to borrow again the next month. So some people absolutely never get caught in that trap, but enough of them do that they make a million pounds a week which is what some of them are making now in the UK. And that's what the industry is worth, or what individual providers... No, individual make. providers are making a million... Wonga makes a million, over a million pounds a week. And Wonga also writes off over 40% of their loan book. I don't know any other industry where the ratios are like that, where you know, over 40% of your, your, your clients don't do what, you're, what officially you're, you're meant to do, which is pay you back on time, and yet you're still making that level of profit. And yet they go and buy Newcastle United. And you're like, <laughs> well, yeah. Um, all the teams. But the, the result of this, and, and yeah. we'll come on to your Twitter campaign as well, that actually, as well as getting you know, a genuine result for people that are in need, is that it's raised your profile to such an extent now that you're more well-known than members of the Shadow Cabinet. Well, to the extent that Wonga started trolling me. So, Do they, know, what, they give you abuse on Twitter? Yeah, no, Wonga, Wonga were found to be trolling me, which is quite funny in a way, because it was like a kind of mix of all these things. They found a, a member of Wonga staff who was actually sending me messages, calling me mad, deluded, uh, trying to seek public profile, you know, bonkers, all this sort of stuff, and posting on all these different And a whole load of inaccurate websites. stuff as well. I know, I know. <laughs> like, look, listen, it, it was a relief for me at that time, at least it wasn't my mum. <laughs> and when we say trolling, we mean it's sort of online on Twitter. Um, yes. It didn't go any further. Like the young people use, Matthew, or this interweb thing. Yeah, yes. yeah. I, I, I get loads of abuse on there. I quite like it. Yeah, sorry about that. She, my mum is... <laughs> She's retired. She but, picks people off. But there is something, isn't there? I don't know if you get this, because you must get more abuse than me on Twitter. Um, and I just said... Is, because, it, is because, it a competition? I mean, because you're, you know, you're a vocal parliamentarian and you put yourself uh, out there to be, to be shot at in that regard. Um <laughs> But I got to the point where I got loads of abuse on Twitter and it affected me for quite a while and then I start to miss it. So, um, <laughs> what I'll do on Sundays now... You, you, you see, need help. <laughs> <laughs> what, what I do is almost... I won't say, you know, things that I don't believe in, but like, I'll maybe have a pop at Man United or Liverpool and then that'll give me a Sunday's afternoon worth of reading and I can sort of sleep well. Oh. Uh, I sort of quite like were it. You, at school, were you the last person to be picked for a, for a football team? You were, weren't you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't, I wasn't the last. Um, I oh, was, my God, I you was were the referee. Late. You were the referee. No, I, wasn't <laughs> a ref. I was never the ref. I was never the ref. No, I sometimes was sort of picked second to last. Or, um, you did know, did they go for the mascot before they went for you? 
did they make you wear the costume? It's like you can tell. Look, I've got costume. A, I've got a degree in psychology, Matt. You can tell me. It's fine. We, we can talk about these things. Can it's I? fine. You can get move on with it. Can I? You don't need to use Twitter to find people to pay you attention. It's all right. <laughs> Clap it, you sod. <laughs> Well, it was just I, 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 I wanted to be good at football, <laughs> just just wasn't very good at it. Uh-huh. I played with with heart and passion, though. But obviously not with the ball. <laughs> no, but you, you let Gary Neville talk very well about players off the ball and and, and, and you know third man running and all stuff like that, and Aww. I sort of gave them um, atmosphere. Bless you. <laughs> Let's move on. You um, were the bez. You were basically the bez of your football team, weren't you? I was the, I was the captain. You ran up and down the side. Yeah. Nobody really passed you the ball. You looked like you were playing Maracas. Off my face yeah. on Ket. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, well, I, I, just, I, was in my, I was the captain of my primary school football team, but I couldn't... Did, did anybody else want to join it? <laughs> no, I was, but I didn't make were it. Were you a captain of a team that nobody else could see? I didn't know. I was, I was in... I didn't make it into my secondary school football team. But I had Jermaine Jean. But you made it into secondary school. I made it to secondary school, yeah. Yeah, this is horrible. Um, (laughs) How has it turned around like this? It's not the Fox Grows fight. This is what I came here for. Um, Right. um, But you you have made a name for yourself, haven't you? It's sort of in this era where people are talking about, you know, machine politics and people towing the party line. You've managed to be, set yourself up quite independently and be... (laughs) But in a good way, but be different. Did, did the whips sort of... tell you to say that? <laughs> Not at all. No, 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 no. But if you, is that something you've done deliberately, sort of to try and strike out from the leadership and from almost the Labour Party as a brand? <laughs> He's saying I've got no mates. <laughs> no, yes, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, after the sort of Blair Brown era where the party was I... clannish, it feels that you don't easily fit into There's either one of those things. You get elected, and you know you've spent however long on a campaign and and the day of the election is i mean it's surreal because by that point you haven't eaten properly for six weeks you're kind of like shaking hands with people manically going yeah it's fine the ballot box now you're just kind of like and and how, however you stand and wherever people think you have a safe or a not safe seat you know I, 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 so my count ian duncan smith was there and ian at seven o'clock in the morning when they started was, was convinced he'd lost chingford and i'm standing there going like like i've been to chingford you know norman tebbit looks kind of wet compared to some of the people <laughs> i've met in chingford um, you're not going to lose Ian, but you are absolutely adamant that you're not going to win that you know you, you, you made your case so you and you finally you win and they give you this envelope and you're like oh my god what, what's in the envelope and, and you open it, and it just says, go to Parliament on Monday. And you're like, that's it. That's the entire direction that you get to do this job. And everything else is kind of up to you to do as much or as little. So I didn't think I was doing anything particularly unusual, just because, like I say, you, you can't be part of a community like mine and just say to people, come the revolution, it'll all be different. Yeah, you're all, you know, you're all in debt. You're all about to lose your, your, your homes. Your families are really struggling. Your kids aren't getting those chances. But come the revolution, you know, it will all be different. So, you know, vote Labour. You've got to be like, you've got to, to, to be able to change things. And I, I just reject the idea that, I mean, I, I guess it is, look, it is quite arrogant. It's quite ideological to believe that the values that you stand for, the things that drive you to do this, whether you are in office or not, have power. So what you do is you fight for them and you champion them. It didn't occur to me that that would be not what we were meant to do, partly because nobody gave me a job description. I mean, maybe I've been missing a whole load of committees that I should have been sat in for years, you know. But there are people who get elected to Parliament, aren't they? And then they immediately think, right, you know, I want to be leader of the party, I want to get in with particular groups. And it feels like you haven't done that. It feels like you haven't kept your head down. I spent my time sending David Willett's tweets of the Jaws team team. (laughs) (laughs) But is that something that you've... 
Um, is that just something that's in your nature, or are you just not interested in that for the time being? And you, do you see yourself more as a sort of voice for Walthamstow than you do as a... Than, uh, than you the do voice as a member of Walthamstow. <laughs> People in Walthamstow would kill me if they thought I was their voice. But would you, are you more likely to toe the local line than the party line, I, for instance? I, OK, I don't see the difference. I think you have to be... And maybe this is the... I was a chief whip on a local council as well, so I thought long and hard about what the whipping process was actually about, because at the time I just felt like I was kind of an agony aunt or I was kind of the, 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 the headmistress. So, you know, people would be rolled in to see me and I'd kind of go, well, I know what people are saying has happened here, but why don't you tell me why you think you're here? And people would tell you all sorts of stuff. It's quite good, actually. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, and the whole point about the whipping process is that politics isn't just about having an opinion. It's also about being able to work with people to try and find common ground to make things happen. So you have to have a process by which people have a debate, a discussion to work out what they will support and where they will go with things. And therefore, why political parties matter. Because it isn't about having just people with the loudest voices or the largest wallets define what happens. So you have to have a process where you can bring people together who share a set of values to make some decisions to move forward. If you don't agree with those decisions, you have to be honest and, and, and humble enough to recognise... You know, I would love to think that all the people in Walthamstow voted for Stella. They didn't. They voted for Labour. So if I can't win the battle within my own party for an issue, I have to go back and reflect rather than going, right, that's it they're all wrong. Now, you know, I'm not saying there will never be a point when you think, actually, I, I disagree so fundamentally, I don't agree with the decision we've got to, but I just think there's a, there's, a, there's, an, there's a hubris about believing you're the only person who has all the answers, and therefore it's a choice between the local and the party. Like, people in Walthamstow are very independent, they, they know their own minds, believe me, they tell me on a regular basis, they'll shout random stuff out at me at, you know, uh, like the, 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 there's, a, there's a pensioner group in my gym and whenever I'm in the gym they're like, oh, well, at least you're bothered to have a shower when you go on the telly. You know? <laughs> it's like they're, they're, they're quite direct about what they think of you. Um, and I have to respect the fact they didn't vote for me as an individual, they voted for a set of values and have that conversation with them and then take that into Parliament and vice versa because otherwise it is just show business for ugly people and you drive yourself mad and boom, Nigel Farage. <laughs> <laughs> But in terms of, uh, you know, personal ambition, when I interviewed Matthew Paris before the summer, he said that every MP at some point will have thought they've gone into it because they want to be Prime Minister. I mean, is that, do you want to be leader of the party in the future? You're tipped as a future Labour leader, or, you know, in the papers. Yeah, and so was Robert Kilroy Silk, so... <laughs> he did lead his own party in the end. It was Veritas. Party uh, of one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, look, everybody asks you that. I, I think it would be insane not to be ambitious in this role, not too ambitious in life, actually, to think, how do I try and do the things I care about? How do I try and be part of it? But I am genuinely excited about being able to change things and frustrated when we can't. And, and actually, what this week has been is a bit of a kind of shot in the arm that it is worth the patience. It is worth the, I call a lot of those committee meetings arm chewers and I would willingly chew my own arm off if I could leave early. It is worth... The discussion, the debate, the can you push people to a certain point, can you make an argument, if you don't win that vote, you, can, you know, we did five different votes on the page, and now each time the government votes against it, but every single time you could see the chink in their argument falling mm. down. So, you know, this week for me is a reminder that patience, which is not particularly a quality I've had great amounts of, is, is worth pursuing, and therefore to be part of that and to be able to be able to take any different role to be part of that is, is amazing. It must be an odd feeling when you get someone like George Osborne and Debbie Cameron to agree with you and to change effectively uh, yeah, government policy. <laughs> yes. um, and even though yeah. you sort of dragged them there, do you then, you know, what sort of line do you put out on this? Do you say, oh, well, finally, they finally listened? Or do you say, you know, well done, in the end they listened I to local people? I hate 
take my lessons from that great red Alex Ferguson who says that you never play for a draw. You know, you look for what is the win. And the win isn't to get George Osborne and David Cameron to agree. The win is to get the right kind of consumer credit market. So for me, this week is a big leap forward, but there's still quite a lot of stuff to go. And if they think that they fixed it by going on the Today programme, they've got another thing coming. <laughs> what are your um, relationships you like? You'd love that, because when, so, so when I first got into this issue, I first went to see the minister, and uh, I'll say, because it was Ed Davey, and uh, bless him, he has now forgiven me for this, but um, I went to see him, and he was like, oh, brilliant, you found an issue, have you? That's really good. Well done, you. And have you put out a press release in your local community about, about this payday lending thing? Well, well, well done, you. And I was like, sorry, what? No, like, there's an issue here, and, we, and what are you going to do about it? And I, I think there was an expectation that if you got involved in an issue as an MP, it was because you were looking for a press release, and you were looking to kind of have a moment where you've met the minister, and you can say to people, I met the minister, but you know, and that's kind of it. I'm sure you've done your shows about the kind of, oh, 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 fine, done. And I got to the point where I was so persistent with Ed Davies' office, including FOIing his private office to see what he was talking to people about, <laughs> where it was, Stella Creasy is definitely off my Christmas card list, was on one of the emails. And I think it might have been from him, to him or his primary staff. I, I don't know that for sure. And I sort of thought that's, that's quite a good test to set yourself in, in opposition, is can you get the government to the point where they are just like, okay, we're just going to give in because it's just easier because then she'll go away. <laughs> he is, um, he's a, I mean, Ed, uh, people familiar with Ed Davey, he's the uh, climate change secretary now, isn't he? he? Is now, right? yeah. He's got the expression of a man who permanently thinks he's lost his wallet. <laughs> <laughs> Constantly was either worried or confused. That's what I worry about. But he seems like a fairly... I mean, in terms of dealing with then... I mean, we'll come on to Labour in a second, but in terms of dealing with opposition MPs, yeah. what's the culture like at Parliament now? Um, because obviously you were only elected three years ago. People yeah. used to talk about it being an old boys' club and, you know, uh, people from different parties would get on very well. I mean, do you have friends yeah, on the Conservative and Liberal benches? Yes, of course you do. There's, you know, there's plenty of people in the Labour movement I don't particularly like. You, know? <laughs> <laughs> um, you have people, because partly because you're on committees together, partly because actually being an MP is quite a solitary life, because you're all interested in different things and therefore... You know, if you're on a committee, you're trying to find, say, that common ground. Um, but also because when you get elected, the tsunami of stuff just comes in, like the, the th uh, things from your local community, people trying to get you to join groups. There's, there's a genuinely an all-party group on the horse, which I was almost tempted to join. What? Just, does that mean? Just because it, well, cause it all seems like on the horse. I was like, what? <laughs> it's like, but does that, that mean that you actually... I mean, oh, God, I thought it was street slang for heroin. No. <laughs> um. I should have joined... <laughs> But, like, you get all these different requests. And, and it is weird when you do find people who agree with you on different, like, aspects of policy or, or think, like, so, of course, and, you know, you're all human. But there are plenty of people who I get on with very well. I mean, look, you know, I get on really well with Ian Duncan Smith. He's my next-door neighbour. We campaign together to try and save the Walsham So Dog Next-door neighbour in wrong. terms of... Oh, because his constituency is not... I don't live in a big house in... <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I just happen to think he's wrong on, on welfare. That being said, the culture in the chamber, the culture in debates, um, I will freely admit it's probably get me in, into trouble. So that when you do committees, you, um, you know, there's this kind of antagonism, like, oh, well, we're the opposition, so we want to make the committee and the debate go on as long as possible because it will really wear down the government. And you're thinking, it's a bit kind of suicidal. It's like, yeah, because we're completely fresh being here for hours on end. Um, but also you see that the government whips are trying not to get their um, MPs to speak. 
because they want to get through the legislation, because they just want to pass it, because they know they've got the numbers, so they're trying to get through it. So at last one of the committees I was on, I constructed like a kind of bingo board for like if you could get different people on the government side, you got different points to speak. <laughs> so, so it was like, you know, um, there's a guy called Alex Shelburne. He's really easy to get to get up and speak. You know? <laughs> so you got five points for him. It was like, you know, a government whip. 10 points, that Lib Dem at the back, no one knows the name of, 50 points. <laughs> and we were kind of allocating points to get ourselves through. But we were completely, of course, focused on the piece of legislation and giving it proper scrutiny at the same time. You know, there's, like, you've got to have some fun in your life to get through what is essentially Hogwarts gone wrong. And the, way in which, the way in which we try and make legislation in this country, because it isn't, like the contrast to me between local government, where you would go and do scrutiny on a, on a proposal, where actually genuinely things would change, whereas, you know, you, you do these committees. The first committee bill I did was the education bill. I turned up with all these ideas, and literally it was like, computer says no, computer says no, everything. And, and your, your, your ambition is to get the minister to say something on the record, which is, it doesn't feel as strong as, no, actually, you want to change the policy. So you, you do end up trying to find ways to entertain yourself, I will admit. Has anyone uh, approached you? Because, you Government know, bingo is probably not one to be recommended, and I do approach <laughs> um, Has anyone approached you? Because, obviously, you, you're seen as a rising star, and the election is only sort of 18 months away, and people are starting very yeah, much to... we were all the future once, weren't we, Matt? <laughs> I never was. Um, <laughs> Um, <laughs> so I, I, it's a feeling I'm entirely comfortable with. Uh, um, Are we back to the football team? Are we no. back to that moment when, well, when, when the PE was... teacher shouted, "Look, somebody take him!" <laughs> I was good at right back. I was good at right back. I was good at right back. I was physical. I wasn't good at playing football, but I was good at stopping those that thought they could. You, you did realise it was football, not rugby, didn't you? Oh, I'm not into that. Business. Really? With, with, with the pink no. stripy shirt and the open collar thing, you're not into rugby? Yeah, because football fans can wear shirts. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was good at football, but not good enough. Um, now, let's, how have we got back onto that again? Um, but I just wonder if anyone has sort of, you know, people start to coalesce maybe at this time of year, don't they, after we've had the penultimate party conference for the... Uh, the Is that a nice the, way of saying the they have Christmas parties and... Well, no, people sort of approached you and said, Stella, you know, if you stand for the leadership after the election, I'll, I'll, I'll vote for you or anything like that. Is that starting to happen yet? No, we'd like, we've been in Parliament for three years. You know, it is... Every, I mean, I, I feel like I'm just beginning to have a vague sense of the week and what might come up. Um, but, you know, invariably, what my mum would call the Monty Python foot, something, you know, whether it is a big crisis at your local hospital. This week... Thames water burst three pipes in Walthamstow, so hundreds of people were left without water. And these things just suddenly happen. And just when you think you've got your week sorted and you know how you're going to get your work done, the Monty Python foot comes along. Like, learning to deal with that, let alone learning to deal with how you make parliamentary process happen, how you can actually write policy, is, is a huge thing. Like, after three years, I, say, I just be begin to feel like I'm kind of... I can sort of see above the water, but every so often you feel like you're being dragged down because, like I say, something comes up that you didn't expect. And in terms of the, the sort of health of the Labour Party now, mm -hmm. uh, I was down in Brighton at the Labour Party conference uh, in September. I, I didn't have a very good time. Um, I, I just wonder if... No, no, I, I enjoyed myself outside of the conference centre, but it was sort of in there was where I was, you know, troubled. Um, <laughs> but I just... I just now, 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 let's explore that. Okay, okay. <laughs> when you say troubled... Yeah. <laughs> I was a good right-back. <laughs> oh. I could play football. Nobody would play with you, is what you're saying. Well, no, I had plenty of people to play with me at, at conference. That was the problem. I had to play too much to sort of numb the pain. 
I've had Miliband and had balls and all that sort of business. And I, I just wonder as... So you were, you were playing with yourself to numbers? <laughs> no, 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 no. I was drinking I mean, with I've friends. I mean, I've heard of some excuses, <laughs> but really. I, I, um, I, I had a whale of a time. I don't, why am I <laughs> falling into this trap? I had a few beers. And that was that. I don't know what you've heard. Um, no. Um, so, so that thing that was written on the loo wall then, that was actually accurate. <laughs> I never believe anything I write on those. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> if, um, but looking at the health of the party and Ed Miliband, I think it's fair to say that he had a good conference. That mm. People thought he'd, he'd got through it and actually, you know, for him, he'd had a good speech. Um, were you in... <laughs> <laughs> but that's the, co- you know, that I, feel, I feel that that's the context is that people say for Ed Miliband, it was all right. No one was saying, wow, put that in a book now. Because in 50 years' time, people are going to study that speech um, like they would, you know, any of Blair's. Um, I just... I just... Um, <laughs> wow, should be in the Hague. Or, or William Hague. <laughs> yeah, don't put him inside William Hague. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> that would be one party conference I would definitely be at. Um, Right, anyway, let's, this is... Really? I can't believe you're the one dragging it into, I can't believe you're the one dragging it into the car. We're back on the troubled bit, are we? Well, it doesn't make me feel troubled, does it? <laughs> Quite serene. Um, now, um, on, but in terms of Ed Miliband as a leader, then, mm. uh, yours, I think it's fair to say you're sort of outside of any of the camps. Um, <laughs> well, really, you're, you're trying to say that I've got no mates when you're the person who got picked last for the football team. No, I really? wasn't picked last, I've made this clear. Right, um, second to last, I just say to the honourable... And the other person who had to be the mascot. Say to the honourable lady, I refer her to the statement I made earlier about my footballing career. There is no denial there, is there? And unlike her, uh, many of their parties... answer the question. Answer the question. I'm comfortable playing on the right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, now, where were we? Yes, Ed, you're doing very well at avoiding Ed Miliband questions. Um, so, um, Ed Miliband, I mean, do you... Was he your choice as leader? No, look, I, I voted for David Miliband, but... but actually look whether we win the next election whether we lose the next election won't actually be about Ed because I think the Labour movement has a series of challenges both in terms of policy and recognising what worked what didn't work in government the way the world is going so therefore what you need to offer you never win elections on the last 10 years you win them on the next 20 but also organisationally so actually I just think it's too easy for people to say right job done who we voted for you know, look, David was more into the kind of community organising, which I know, I say community organising, your eyes glaze over, you think help, you think... No, 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 huggy, I don't think hippie, it's... touchy-feely, relating, emotional, yeah, all those places where people talk to each other, yeah. No, 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 I'm pro-community and all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that was what, you know, and, and for me, look, you know, the labour movement is quite masochistic in how it works. You know, there aren't many other um, organisations, social organisations, that you will turn up on a Sunday and say, hi, I'm a volunteer, I've come to help. And someone will say, well, really, we were out Saturday as well, you know. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I go around the country doing this thing called the Guilty Secrets Workshop with kind of members of the party doing acts, like talking about, like, what are our good things about being part of this organisation? You know, number one, who deletes all the, e- the emails without reading them? It's like, hands up. Who dreads the meetings? Who's been the leaflets? Who would pay not to go to the fundraisers? <laughs> and invariably, somebody goes, is there a direct debit? You know, <laughs> it's like... And so, for me, what, what clinched it with David was that David kind of got, as much as we can have 
the right ideas. If we don't have a new way of organising, we won't connect with people because the vast majority of people in this country, you know, they, they, don't, they don't think they like politics. They do because they like ideas. They like change. They've all got opinions. But what we would call politics and political parties isn't connecting or engaging with people. So, you know, for me, the, the choice for David was about that challenge. Now, actually, you know, Ed has... Ed has picked up the baton on that about saying we can't just put, you know, 101 leaflets through people's doors and go job done. They're, they're definitely going to vote for us because it's a war of attrition. Mm. Um, you know, if if all of the all of the ways that we traditionally campaign worked, frankly, there'd be a lot more Jehovah's Witnesses in this country because that kind of turning up on someone's doorstep and going, hi, I'm here to talk to you about something you probably don't want to speak about isn't isn't really working anymore. So we do have to find different ways to connect with people. I, I totally agree with that. But equally, as well as that, I think you need leaders. I bet that... you talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses, though, don't you? Well... Because it's like contact, isn't it? It's like someone on your doorstep coming to see you, making a point. You probably tell them your name. I, like, yes, um, I'm Matt. Yes, I do want to talk. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. no, no, I don't. I, I always, I always take the leaflet, and I'm always very courteous to them, because because um, then you know they'll come back. Yeah. No. And then that's somebody else. It's a whole other day. Well, no, I came, I, I came from. I came, I'm very busy at the moment. Um, <laughs> I um, no, I, I, I think you should just be nice to people. Yes, of course. So Jehovah's Witnesses get a better time at my house than, you know. <laughs> Do you invite them in? You know, come for tea? Well, look, my, my Jehovah's Witness is the Domino's guy. <laughs> he turns up on my you doorstep with some, uh, you know, we'll talk to him about in five minutes after I've eaten it. And that's, <laughs> that's a sort of outreach service of itself, isn't it? But I think, as well as having... Um, so you basically have meals on wheels. <laughs> that's a really good idea. That's a really good point, actually, yeah. Yeah, I guess I do. But then anyone who orders delivery, like curry, I never I, thought I, of it I like that. Does anybody here like tend to engage? Because I'm, I'm just thinking, like, brilliant, the food's here. We want to eat it because yeah. there's people around. Yeah, does anybody else here like start long conversations with the delivery guy? Not long ones. You're the reason why. No, you're the reason why we all have to wait 45 minutes, aren't you? Because, no, 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 no. Because you're holding up the delivery. He's got our pizza in the box, going cold. Because you're going. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Well, the problem is, if you don't talk to them, you don't see what's in the full order, and then they drive off with your spicy jalapeno bites, <laughs> which happened two weeks ago. I ordered a garlic bread that didn't turn up from Sweet Masala in N17. <laughs> Still haven't had a refund for that. Um, so you've, you've, you've basically justified in your head making friends with the delivery guy. It's in your self-interest to befriend these people because then you get discounts. And to hold them in their house. Do you think, do you think they have like your address? They oh, have your address, don't they, in the office? It's like, right, we'll draw lots. Who's got to go and deliver to Matt Ford? Yeah, but I have to yeah, order it first. <laughs> don't just come round. Hello, mate, we thought you'd be peckish because it's three in the afternoon. Here's a lamb madras. <laughs> I mean, they'd be right. Um, <laughs> but back to the question, please. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but as it's well really as having, fun looking at you just like... But as well as having sort of community, you know, community organisers and all that business, don't you also need leaders that inspire on a, on a grand scale? You know, in this area where people are so busy that they probably you know, won't answer the door or read the leaflet, the next sort of best thing, and a good thing in politics anyway, is to have a leader that can inspire people at a mass level. Do you think Ed Miliband is that sort of leader? Yeah, look, he's got a profile, he's got people engaging what he does, but you've also got to remember, I mean, there's something like 80 super marginals where actually you're talking about a couple of hundred votes, maybe a thousand, two thousand in it. So actually, the local campaign that you run, who we pick locally, I mean, the pressure is on much more in terms of local leadership, just because 
it is going to come down to, you know, the idea that it's all going to be won at a national level, especially when people are disengaging from formal national politics. Like, I think they'll watch the um, leader debates if they have them. And I, 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 but actually, we, we all thought last time, wow, it was such a great moment for, for Nick Clegg. That yeah. didn't translate. So yeah. I, I just, there's a note of caution for me, not just because I think it would, you know, be lovely to be able to go, right, job done, it's all up to Ed Miliband, whether we win or lose anywhere, but also because just the, the numbers, the politics of it, you know, actually, I, for, for a lot of our candidates, I mean, I feel, feel for them because it is a huge amount of pressure because it really will come down. I mean, you know, if you lose by five, ten thousand, that is something. If you mm. lose by 200, you know... Recount. Well, you're looking, at the pers- you're looking at the person who said, I tell you what, everyone need, the volunteers needs some pizzas. Oh, we've got to wait 45 minutes for them to turn up. But we'll feed our volunteers and thinking that's 200 votes they could have got out while they were waiting for the pizza guy that Matt Ford was keeping waiting talking to. You know, it's that but, kind of... I'll take your point. Yeah. Um, but if... Um, but, I mean, I, I, I remember at Nottingham City Council, I was mm. the sort of agent or whatever, I was the designated representative of the Labour Party, and uh, all these different councils were going on. And councils come up to go, uh, I was ahead before, now I've... I'm 30 behind, what do I do? I was like, always, if you're behind, always ask for a recount. No matter how much, just go recount. And <laughs> just keep them going until they will invent votes and you get elected. <laughs> that is democracy in action, as far as I'm Keep asking for a recount. In fact, one guy, you, level one guy. You are, like, you're, you're the arson venger. <laughs> the kind of, you're uh, just like, yeah. keep asking for the referee. Just keep asking. Uh, 100%. <laughs> absolutely. I remember one guy. I mean, usually, when I worked for the party, usually candidates would complain that you were, they weren't getting enough help. And we work in the regional office and we were saying, I'm not getting enough leaflets. How are you supposed to run a campaign? And there are other people that you have to beg to stand. You call them paper candidates in the industry because you don't want to, in a city like Nottingham, have a situation where Labour can't field a candidate, even if it's in an unwinnable ward. You need to be seen to be uh, have a presence everywhere. And I convinced this guy, I said, look, mate, you're a paper candidate. Don't worry about it. Just put your name down so that you know, <laughs> Labour people can vote. And then come the election, they can vote for the local MP. And usually the day after the election, I'd get phone calls of people going... I didn't get elected because of you. I hope you're proud. I put four years working. I got nothing. The phone rang. This guy went, I want to talk to Matt Ford. I said, speak. And he went, you told me I won't get fucking elected. <laughs> <laughs> Legend. My kind of guy. That was the Domino's guy. Ruined <laughs> 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 his life. Um, but, I mean, talking of the leaders' debates, on the leaders' debates, do you think Nigel Farage should be allowed to take part in them? No, because I think it has to be about national... I mean, if it's, if it's about the national leadership position yeah. and, um, you know, it, it has to be about who could credibly be a national leader um, and as much as Nigel Farage thinks he can, yeah. you know, the numbers aren't there because, I mean, uh, frankly, uh, Natalie Bennett would probably have more sway to be able to argue that she could be up there. So I think... Both of them, maybe. <laughs> they, could, they could tag-team it because like, they're so similar. I think, you know, you could put them... See, I find him I find him really entertaining, Nigel yeah. Farage, and I would like him on there just to sort of shake it up a bit. <laughs> Do you think? Because they're all going to be so... The leaders' debates last time was so mechanical. It was, I can't believe it. it was robotic. It was worse than watching Promise. You like... It's, it's like on um, Vic and Bob. You like that guy. It was Andros, the random guy who just suddenly appears. And yeah, like, yeah, They're, yeah, they're yeah. riffing off, and then he just turns Angelos. up. Angelos. Angelos, yeah. yeah like, you, Farage you just think there. Nigel Farage is the Angelos of the kind of the debates. Be, just, like, imagine having the debates, then going, and Nigel, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, I think it's the biggest sort of cult for this lot continue to sell the country down the river, and if we carry on, frankly, we'll all be speaking German. Bosh! <laughs> you tell him nice. Get out of here. I mean, I would not vote for him, but it would make... that People would actually watch them. 
which would which would be a step forward for politics, perhaps. But I I, I think I agree but with you. But there are other ways that you you know if you, you want to go down that path, you could just you could take lessons from gladiators or something. I mean, we could just shake it up a bit rather than just bringing in Nigel Farage as this kind of like random attack dog. Get fashion you and Ulrika exactly, Johnson back together. Yeah, just be. Uh... <laughs> I think the one thing the debates didn't have last year was someone going Awooga <laughs> at the end of it. Um, I'd love to see Gordon Brown go up a travelator as well. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. That would be incredible. Be like, it's a knockout and gladiators all in one. Um. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. But in terms of debates, you know, at a local level, when you're standing for parliament, mm. you have to have these debates at the hustings. So you're yeah. sort of, you know, every politician is well-versed them. Do you look forward to those sort of things? Do you enjoy them on the night? Uh, well, I've only done it like one time round, and I mean, we were a target seat for the um, the Liberal Democrats, and they ran a, in the way that you know, a classically kind of vicious, nasty, personal campaign. So actually, by the time it kind of got to to be able to be in a room with this man who'd done things like, I mean, the, you know, there's a large Muslim community in Walthamstow. He went around telling everybody that I was Jewish. Um, which was, you know, for my mum was a surprise. And she, sort of, she went around saying, it's going to make Christmas really awkward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, uh, and then he told people that I was offering people kind of peerages as well, uh, which is quite a good one, because my mum went around saying, well, I'm first in line. <laughs> she was like, but so by the time it got to the debates, I, I, you know, it was a bit kind of, however you're thinking this is about policy, this is about the community, you are thinking, I want to kill this man. <laughs> and, you know, wanting to say... Oh, and actually, you know, he then made a series of outrageous claims in that debate. And actually, because he was there, I was able to take him down. And, you know, it was a source of satisfaction to me that one of the kind of community elders went up to him afterwards and said, perhaps local government is more your thing, Barrett, <laughs> you know. Um, but it, it, that was difficult for me because, as I say, it got very personal. And I'd never, to be honest, I'd never really experienced that. Um, How do you keep your cool there? I think that's something that I really admire about politicians. I think even people who are cynical about politics do admire. It's just the thick skin required to deal with. I stab my nails into my hand a lot. If you see me doing that, (laughs) I'm doing the kind of... It just looks like you've got circulation problems. Yeah, you know. um, (laughs) Look, it is, and and that's the thing, partly, you know, we're all human. And as I go back to my point about you don't stand as yourself, you stand to try and represent a particular political movement. And the idea that you will be some kind of saint, that you won't be somebody who gets frustrated or annoyed or who swears occasionally, you know, just generally as a human being. I mean, I get on, on, because I do a lot of of tweeting, and I get people saying, oh, if only you and you're a politician and you're talking about the X factor. And it's like, well, that's because I do offline as well, mate. You know, (laughs) it's like, that's just who who I am. I think the worst thing is if you're not authentic, if you're not 
who you are. Like, I'm not, you know, so, someone said to me, had I focus grouped my music opinions? I was just like, that was you, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. <laughs> like, like, it absolutely yeah. was not. And, and just the, the, the weirdness of that kind of question, because you get asked these really weird questions, or people have these really weird presumptions about politicians, and, you know, that speaks to the big disconnect, because, because we all think anybody interested in politics, anybody interested in changing the world must be a bit odd, and that's, there's something quite sad about that. I'm not saying I'm a normal human being. It isn't a normal job like but nobody's normal everybody has their quirks just the point is some people are better at hiding them than others but you've you've led a campaign as well on on twitter trolls and it's something mm. that's made the front page of the union standard many times and many national newspapers as well about people getting abuse on twitter particularly women getting abuse on twitter um a lot of politicians feel like i think and this is where i really feel for politicians feel like oh well i just have to take it and you haven't taken that point of view yeah um, no. <laughs> when you get that abuse i mean does it genuinely hurt, or have you developed such a thick skin now well, that no, nothing it's can different. harm it? It is very different. Look, the stuff that happened to me over the summer was people sending rape threats and death threats and bomb threats. Like, that's illegal offline. You don't... I mean, the, the, the frustration is people thinking it's somehow not serious because it's online. You know, I would like to think I'm relatively robust offline and online too, so I'll take a lot of banter, I'll take a lot of people being quite rude and abusive... You know, I send a lot of people kitten pictures because for me it's like if, you're, if you feel that minded that you take to Twitter and you're sending people those kind of messages, you really need to chill out. And the thing that chills me out is like, cute puppy kittens. So it's like, here you go, have a kitten picture. Um, I tell people I'm not going to play anymore if they, if they hit that line. This is all news to you, isn't it? You're like, is anybody attention? No, 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 no. No, when I get abused, I either retweet it or just say to them, um, hope you're having a great day, mate. And either people will immediately apologise and go, I'm really sorry. Or they'll go, what do you mean I'm having a great day? I'll just say, well, I presume you're not happy at the moment. Um, <laughs> chill out. Just I remember let one let me tell you about my childhood. There was this football team, yeah, and no one <laughs> me. And it's fine, I'm totally over it now, because I've got Twitter. It's making me friends. No, but I quite like it. There's, uh, there's a guy who... It's when people just react so angrily to... Like, if I put a political opinion out there, I expect a certain amount of anger. You know, yeah. opinion on anything, you expect a certain amount of ire. But I think I said something like, so just got back from White Hart like, Oasis are the greatest band in the world. And some female MP just kept trolling. <laughs> I just said something like, oh, uh, atmosphere at White Hart Lane wasn't as good as I thought it'd be. And some guy in capital wow. letters put, I'm going to find you and fight you, you prick. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, if he does, I'll, sh- you know, sort of <laughs> like... the feet of, you know, the modern era. Good, that's sort of good for him if he wants to find <laughs> was it you? <laughs> but the, sometimes, do, do, does, I mean. But there is that issue. Does it but, ever genuinely when you get tweet you? people, like, when you do get slightly kind of inane. Is, I mean, because also the thing about Twitter for me is it's an interactive medium. So unless you've seen the start of the conversation or you're having a. And yeah. you forget that people are, are viewing. So people will kind of chip in. And that's the thing I find a bit weird about it. Because you sort of think if you were on a bus and people were bantering about something, you wouldn't just go, oh, sorry, you know, you, you're like, but people do that on Twitter, which is a bit odd. Oh that do. is you, isn't well, it? Maybe on, maybe on the last bus. <laughs> Things are a bit more freer there. So, 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 so <laughs> I always find this a more collegiate what, approach on the last bus out. What, 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 what we've learned about you tonight then, Matt, is that ever since your childhood and that being second to last on the football team, you've taken to welcoming in the Jehovah's Witnesses and making friends with the delivery man and sitting on buses going round trying no, to find I, I, a friend. This, see, that is one way of I'm spinning I'm really it. warming to you. I'm really I warming have, to you, Matt, because I, I feel like we need to find you some friends. I've got friends. Really? Yeah, I've got, I've got about... I've, yeah, and on <laughs> Facebook I've got about 30. Um, <laughs> How many of them are related to you? 
Yeah, see, that could go either way, couldn't it? <laughs> if I say none, that's worse. Um, but, uh, no, where were we? Um, yeah, I was going to ask you actually about, because you're, you're not just a Labour MP, you're a Labour and Cooperative I am. MP. I am, I uh, am. Literally and figuratively. In, but what difference does that make in terms of your policy agenda sure. and your behaviour? Uh, well, so, um, the Co-op Party for me has always been about um, cooperatives and mutualism and the idea... So, I mean, most things I've done as a politician have never been kind of my idea and telling people what to do and then getting them to do it, genuinely. I know, I know you might not think that, but um, it's been about working with other people and, and riffing off what they do to, to find ideas about what you might do. Like, I mean, when I started the Payday Loan campaign... There were different things I was thinking you could do. It was talking with other people and working with people about what the alternatives were that we came to total cost capping. Um, Co-op principles for me are about how that process happens and where actually if you say that everybody has a contribution to make... you know, One, one of the things that makes me saddest about politics is if we turn it into the idea that 650 people have all the answers or everybody in town hall has all the answers, you miss out on all the things that other people could do. So I've always been part of the co-op part of the Labour movement, which... You know, because the honest truth about about the left is that it has a strain in it as as kind of paternal as the Conservative Party does about mm. tell, you know we fight for things for people we don't necessarily work with them for stuff and and that for me was an anathema about how I'd learned to do things and what I thought worked. So when it came to standing for election, I've always wanted to be co-op and Labour. Um, difficult time right now to do it because absolutely, you know, Reverend Flowers. I never met the guy, but I mean, it's like. This, well, you just... I, I feel like I've missed out. I mean, some of these meetings must have really been um, quite something. Um, but, but that, you know, one person doesn't reflect a philosophy. And the point about cops is it's a philosophy about starting from the principle that everybody has a contribution to make rather than, right, we just find the right five people and that's job done. But in terms of Reverend Flowers, which I was going to come mm. on to um, and ask if you'd met him and if you had, did you inhale? Um, but... <laughs> I wonder if... Uh, you think I go and sniff people, Matt? No, it's the, it's the famous Clinton thing. Uh, yeah, I know, I, I, yeah, I know. Weed Sorry, at uni. I, I know that. Um, <laughs> but in terms of flowers, um, oh, if you sniff them, you get hay fever. Um, but if you... If you um, I don't know why you're laughing. You've paid money to see him. <laughs> in, in terms of, but in terms of Reverend Flowers, you know, he's created a problem, mm. hasn't he, for the co-op bank. He's created a problem for the co-op movement. In that, you know, the, the co-op movement really is, is quite a sort of cuddly, positive force in Britain, but now it's sort of mired in controversy. Yeah. Um, is that is that a problem? Do you think that will that will last, or is, is this a passing storm? Look, absolutely, it's a real challenge for all of us who passionately believe that mutualism and cooperatives have got to be part of the future way that we run this country. That people are looking at that as indicative of what happens when you have mutual ways of working. I don't think it is. I think it's right that there's an investigation and. It is interesting to me that, you know, three years ago, David Cameron couldn't more, wax more lyrical about how wonderful cooperatives were, that Jesse Norman set up the Conservative Co-op group. Um, as soon as this happens, they suddenly deny they were ever involved in it, they ever thought it was any good, because they don't get it, because it's not about a model, it's about a mindset. It's not about saying, oh, well, what we'll do is we'll give everyone a dividend. It's what that dividend represents, which isn't just what you get out of it, but what you put into it. So we have to rehabilitate absolutely what, what co-ops mean. I, I, I take the challenge on, but the idea that one person is going to break it, you know, look, Fred Goodwin was also an example of banking gone wrong. Mm. Um, we have to make banking work, we have to make cooperatives work. It's too important to the people whose lives will, live, will, will, will flourish or, or wither as a result of co-ops if we don't get it right. But what about the political problem mm. for the Labour Party? And it's full of specifically to Ed Balls because of the £50,000 donation he took. 
uh, while Flowers was still in charge. Mm. Um, and, the, and the connection that the government are making, obviously, that the public are making between the two, that there's a sense that this is a bank that was run by someone who was reckless, was out of control. And actually, I, I have to say, I feel a certain amount of sympathy for him because I don't think it looks like he's leading a very happy life at the moment. But nevertheless, in politics, these things matter to people. Sure. I mean, will this be a political problem for the Labour Party come the election, do you think? What, in terms of Reverend Flowers? I, I, I genuinely don't think Reverend Flowers is going to be on the leaflets that the Conservatives and the Liberals put out. Um, there's absolutely a chance. Look, the, I mean, frankly, the co-op group, because it wasn't the co-op party, so I'm a co-op party MP, the co-op group has a right, like a lot of other organisations do, to make decisions about the kind of donations they make. It was very transparent they gave money to, to Ed Balls. You know, I, I haven't had £50,000 from them. I'd love to I could do all sorts of things in my community for £50,000. But they have a right to make those kind of decisions. That's what they did as a, as a board. I think what's unusual is that we have a co-op party as well. But that was because the co-op movement, you know, 100 years ago, recognised that if you stand for something more than just making profit, you actually stand for a way of life and a contribution approach, then that is a political vision as well as, as an economic vision, and therefore you, it's right to have political representation. You know, we've got to go out there and make those arguments. You're right, people think of the co-op as a kind of cute and fluffy thing. You know, we ain't cute and fluffy. We are there trying to make an argument, and we've got to make that argument harder. I was amazed that the heat on Ed Balls took so long, really, because... Um what I was amazed by was... Because you've been in, trying for ages? Well, no, in my <laughs> opinion, you know, I'd be amazed. If, if anyone said, oh, my God, someone's given 50 grand to Ed Balls, I'd say, they've got to be smoking crack. <laughs> and in the end, in the end, it turned out they were. Um, <laughs> now, uh, I'll, I'll open up the floor so to questions. when you said that you had a troubling time at conference... <laughs> no, 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 I was, it was all just uh, Staraprahman for me. Uh, lovely drop. It makes you very peckish. Uh, right, um, well, I'll open up the floor, uh, and please, uh, respectful uh, in tone uh, and quick questions. And just for the benefit of the podcast, I will have to repeat it, and I know that becomes laborious, but uh, I get tweets about from people saying that uh, they can't hear uh, what the questions have been. So people in the audience, this question, I'll repeat it, and if we can keep them fairly brief and the answer's fairly brief, I'll, I'll get around as many people as possible. Okay. The young man at the front. A two-part question. If you touch on um, flowers, do you think that the potential problem of the, of the co-op group not funding Labour Party will affect the next election. And secondly, on the wonder issue, what about the, the reports that come from other countries where they've capped the, level, the levels of interest, where it's mm. become, gone back to the black market and people are suffering even more? Okay, so co-op party funding uh, regarding the Labour Party the next election yeah. and the issue of capping payday lenders driving people to the black market. Listen, funding is absolutely going to be an issue at the next election because... We've always known that there's an imbalance between the funding that the Labour movement and the Conservative movement will have. So actually, I think it's a red herring to think it's down to any one organisation. We are going to have a fight on our hands. That's why we've got to look at new ways of campaigning. We've got to fundraise. I mean, anybody who tells you that fundraising is an integral part of a political movement in a country that doesn't have state funding then just doesn't understand the nature of the fight that we're going to have. I was talking to a candidate in the Midlands who, <coughs> you know, her opposition is now getting a lot of money in and he is um, bombarding the area. You know, the only thing she has in, as, as a defence is the people, is the, the, the support that we can give her. Um, the future of the co-op party lives or dies on the argument we make about what co-ops do, uh, because we are an independent sister party. We're not, you know, we're not affiliated to the Labour Party. We have a formal agreement with them about how we work with them. I am going to make that fight as long as I can, and also the, the relationship we have with the co-op movement. Interesting that you mentioned Wonga, because that's an example of, of organisations that are Adrian Beekoft, who benefited hugely from um, 
the from Wonger as, as one of the original investors, has given a large amount of money to the Conservative Party. So, oh, I wish know, he'd given it as a loan. <laughs> yeah, that would be brilliant. <laughs> that would have been incredible. You just stole. You just stolen my line. Which oh, is what I was going to say. Um, in terms of though, I would love to know where the reports are of where actually total cost capping is leading to higher levels of illegal lending. Because frankly, this is the. No, it's simply not. It's simply not. And it's absolutely the argument being made by the legal loan shark industry. It's a bit like the myths that were put about about the minimum wage, that somehow if you brought a minimum wage, there would be an increase in unemployment when the reverse is true. Actually, all the evidence from countries like Japan, like Canada, like Florida, um, lots of different American states, is where you get capping right, there's lower levels of illegal lending and there's lower levels of personal debt because it means that people can borrow affordably. You know, 80% of these loans are for basics, right? This is people borrowing to put food on their table, put a roof above their head, put petrol in their car to get to work. They need to have access to this kind of credit. The question is, do we let them have access to a kind of credit that in of itself promotes debt? Because debt is what pushes you into that default market where they make their profits. Or do we say we need to change the behaviours of these companies? That's what total cost cap does. And actually the more the industry argues that it will push people into the hands of illegal lenders, the more we have to say the consequences of doing nothing, which this government has done for three years so far, is five million people borrowing in this way now. So that's, you know, the numbers of people now going into citizens' advice bureaus desperately in debt and disproportionately in debt because they've got payday loans is horrific. There is a consequence to doing nothing and there's a consequence to getting it right. What we've got to do is get this government to get it right. But it is like Turkey's arguing that Christmas is overrated when the industry says, oh, you'll go to illegal lenders. If that was the case, then why are all these companies expanding into jurisdictions that already have caps? You know, Wonga is moving into America, is moving into African countries that have caps. So if caps were really damaging to the industry, they wouldn't be doing that. It's just hokum. (laughs) It's the gentleman at the back. So uh, the Labour Party at the moment is identifying problems. Uh, we're not hearing a great deal about policy. How does Labour run a country where there isn't enough public cash? Sure. Well, I actually think it is possible to get better outcomes with less money. But it does mean thinking more clearly about what we want to try and do. great example for this, for me, is in health. Right? I held a meeting four weeks ago with, where I finally managed to get um, my local hospital, the com- clinical commissioning group, which is the new doctor's organisation, social care from the local council, mental health around the table, to talk about the fact that we have a higher than average number of people sat in our hospital who are medically fit to go home, but they're sat in hospital because we don't have a discharge programme for them. We don't have a way of getting them out back to their homes. Now, you know, that isn't just hugely expensive. That's 15 grand a day for those people who don't need any medical treatment to be sat in hospital. That's elderly people sat in hospital beds when they just want to go home. They just want to be with their families. They don't want to be there. That we haven't got right, the way in which we integrate care, because, and, you know, now with the new forms of NHS, it's actually harder, because getting those four organisations around the table was really, really difficult. I brought in social sheltered housing into that conversation and I was there ending up being the patient voice because none of those people have any connection with any of the... They have no formal obligations on them. Is, is insane to me. The future of our healthcare service is absolutely the stuff that Liz Kendall and Andy Burnham are doing around integrated care because that doesn't just save you money. It's a hell of a lot cheaper if you treat people at home. 
It's also just more dignified. I mean, you know, you don't want to have to keep going back into hospital. That's hugely expensive and hugely demeaning. You want to have a good way of integrating care. So I absolutely believe that the idea that it's about the money is, 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 I mean, it's the the most expensive mistake of all, and that's the mistake this government has made. They're spending more now. They're borrowing more now than we would have done. They're spending more on welfare than we we were now than they were in 2010, you know, because they spend all their time worrying about how to scrape a couple of pounds off um, what they pay for young unemployed people. They're missing the bigger fact that youth unemployment costs us £28 billion a year, that bringing in things like the work contract and the, and the jobs fund, it just doesn't work in comparison to things like the Future Jobs Fund. So actually, there are better ways, if we're prepared to be radical about how we organise things, to get outcomes and to save money. And, you know, we on the left, the biggest problem with all of this is people being pessimistic that that is possible. You know, there's an amazingly exciting world out there. Actually, our job is to bring it forward and make sure that everyone benefits from it. But if we do that, we won't just save money. We'll actually make the world a better place. If we don't think that, we shouldn't be here. You know, I shouldn't take all the calls I get about people not getting their bins collected or the fact there's water seeping down the roads or the man who keeps ringing me asking me to fix his broadband if I didn't think that there is a better way of resolving it. Yeah, and by the way, just get a different contract, all right? Just <laughs> you know, you, you've got to believe that. Otherwise, there's just no point in doing it. But... Overall, sort of uh, strategically, hmm. um, you know, that's, that's sort of one example in the NHS. But I don't have a sense at the moment that Labour is going into the election with a big, you know, the, the sort of answer that you would want, where they say, actually, this is going to need to involve more private sector involvement. And we're going to have an ideological discussion with our own party about private involvement in public services. We're going to have an involvement about, you know, and a real discussion about who deserves benefits hmm. and who doesn't. And taking a real, and one that has a philosophy, you know, a real philosophy running through all those things that's coherent. Sure. Is that coming? Yes, and I, and I think it is. I think the integrated care stuff is absolutely... Because that's first and foremost about purpose. You know, one of the pol- problems in politics all the time is people get caught up in processes. Right, what is the current way of running things and how might we improve it? Rather than saying, actually, what's the purpose of here? What are we trying to do? One of the, the stats that most bothers me as a progressive is that 85% of a child's attainment is nothing to do with their school because only 15% can be accounted for by the school they went to. So if we let ourselves get hung up on a debate purely about the structures of schools rather than thinking about the standard of education and the kind of communities we're creating and the kind of aspirations we're building for our kids, we miss out on the 85% that we also need to address for their lives. And actually, those debates are happening. Yeah. You know, I mean, That is a one-nation argument because it's saying that for some kids, the other 85% is managed by somebody else. But actually, if we don't get the 85% right for everyone, they haven't got a chance. Is that on average? Because I would, I mean, for some, I mean, I mean I've, you know, I, I prefer David Cameron to sort of the other leaders, but I would suggest that his schooling had more than 15% to do with... Well, sorry, sorry, you don't think, you don't, think, you, you, you don't think David Cameron's, yeah, but like, you don't think David Cameron's background, the other 85%, the parents, the community he lived in, the network, that was nothing. No, but I think Eton was instrumental, wasn't it? <laughs> but, that's, but that's my point, is, but how did he get to Eton? How, well, the connection, all those 80, the other bit of his life... You're saying it's just enough to send every kid to Eton? No, 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 no. Because that would be the, that would be no, the end no, no, point no, of I'm, your I'm argument. No, no, no. I'm a big supporter of free schools and academies. Um, but I, I think... Uh, I, I just wanted to know whether that was an average, because it feels to me that certainly people like David Cameron and George Osborne, uh, even though I agree with some what they do, are you know, people that Nye Bevan would say really have been educated think, beyond their intelligence. Right, but you really think that up until they went to school... So their family background had nothing to do with their ability to go to that school. Like no, absolutely not. No, it's fundamental. The, to the, it. the magic fairy paid their school fees. No, but I, but is that figure on average? Is that and, and that includes state and private? 
Uh, well, it's a Joseph Rantry Foundation study about educational attainment and how much of it you can actually account for in terms of schools and how much you can account for in terms of other factors in a child's life. Fascinating. Um, okay. Uh, yes, the hand over there. What's your name? Do you feel that, you know, one of the positive points of career politicians, and uh, secondly, on a slightly lighter note, maybe, do you think Edmund Aban would be more electable if he wore blue shiny trousers more often? Uh, okay, so, um, are, you a, are you a career politician? Are career politicians a good thing? Yeah. And, 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 so, got Kwanzin. And, um, and would Edmund Aban be more popular if he wore blue shiny trousers? Blue shiny trousers. Are you making a comment about the fact that I'm wearing a vinyl skirt, sir? I think if he wore a skirt, really? he would. Really? Sorry, you're, you're actually making a comment on what I'm wearing. And suggesting that this is an electoral thing. Did you organise for somebody to be in the audience to make you look more progressive on women's issues? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely not. And I'm horrified that he's opened his mouth. Um, <laughs> no, but I mean, but, I mean, playing devil's advocate here. I mean, he's got a point, hasn't he? In that um, Edmund Aban dressed in a certain way, and, and the professional political class dressed in a certain way, and actually people were more expressive in the way that they dressed. People might be more attracted to them politically. Really, Mark? men or but men you or really, women? You really want to go there on this, do you? Well, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, well, it was his question, so I'm just playing devil's advocate with it. I don't necessarily Sorry. think... Well, I don't necessarily think that what he's saying is sexist. What I think he's saying is we have you know, a political class that dresses and Sorry, behaves in a certain way that is off He's making a comment about the fact that I've got a blue... No, he is! No, he is! No, he did! He said... That's just... That's just... Sorry, well, no, he said a blue shiny, that's what I was picking up on, right? Right, that's different from whether they're wearing blue shiny things. And wore clothes that sort of. Ref- I mean, the problem is with Edmund Band, he does wear clothes that reflect his personality. Um, <laughs> well, look, I. Having, I mean, having spent like the last six weeks watching The X Factor, seeing men wearing like braces and socks and slippers and shorts and cravats and big fluffy hair, like, like men's fashion just completely blows me. You know, would you I, like to I, see that in Parliament? I, no, I, I wouldn't like to see that at all. I just, I looked at. There was a man on. on he was wearing like a, a silver rucksack, like a, a French exchange student on the other night and uh, but on stage and dancing and I just couldn't get it at all. I, I'm too old for this stuff like <laughs> I would ban skinny jeans on men I just there, there's no man it looks good on yeah I mean some people I mean I, I agree Sorry, but some people would why say why that's that sexist why is that why is it sexist to say that it doesn't look good well but but he but you you're sort of insinuating the gentleman over there was sexist for picking up on what you were wearing but when you attack men's clothing that's a double standard isn't it No, no, no. Two different things. I thought, and in fact, all I heard of that gentleman's question was that he thought that what a, a, a politician would wear would be designed to be appealing in that sense, right? right? Which is different from... Look, Ed Miliband should wear what he feels comfortable in. Mm. Like, I feel like most people in general in life. Um, I find it hilarious in Parliament. There are all sorts of rules about what men can wear. There are no rules about what women can wear. So at one point, 
one male MP tried to get a debate going about whether women should be allowed to wear jeans in the chamber because somebody was wearing jeans, like a woman MP was wearing dark denim, perfectly smart, you know, wearing jeans in the chamber. And, and actually they ended up having a discussion about this and you kind of think that's where it becomes a weird place where people, if they were watching, would just think, sorry, what, what are you doing? Um, that there aren't enough women uh, for people to even have the conversation about what is the appropriate wear. So there are long rules about men must wear a tie, they must wear a suit. Mm. Um, you know, it's not like he can turn up in his converse and, and jeans because that's what the rules say. Um, speaks volumes to the fact that Parliament is just not used to women. You know, it's really noticeable to me as a, as a woman in Parliament, every single time we get a new set of police, it's always the women MPs who get stopped and ask for their badges. It's never the men. Every single time you go through some of the doors that are for MPs only, it's always the women who get stopped and asked to show their, their protocol. And we all talked about it and said it's because the presumption is that you couldn't possibly be an MP walking in there. Do you think then Parliament uh, and the, the people that police it are, in effect, institutionally sexist? No, I think that's what society is like, because actually that happens to you across the piece if you're a woman. People will judge you on what you wear. People will make presumptions about your hair colour. Um, people will will express surprise about things. I had, I had a senior journalist write to me about the, to congratulate me on the payday loan camp- campaign for changing people's perceptions about what women MPs were capable of. And, and he meant it as a compliment. And, and, you know, just when you start to unpack that and think that about what he's actually saying about his own presumptions about women and what their role is, that isn't parliament, that isn't politics, that is society. You know, only 20% of um, people, in, it, bylines in the media are, are women. It's unusual to find women on panel shows. It's unusual to find women in positions of leadership. I mean, there's no women in positions of leadership within the military. Um, sorry, they're too short. No, no. <laughs> or did you say Claire short? Um, you know, the, the, the reality is that... The, the, I, tell, I tell you, the most, the, the, the best... That would be an amazing excuse for sexism. Well, I've got a problem with women. Frankly, too short. They can't get on a roller coaster. They shouldn't be able to vote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be the best excuse ever. My um. word. <laughs> well, um... So, so yes, let's, Sorry, let's get yeah, back so on track. about being a career politician... I mean, but also that's sort of an indication that I, um, I don't think there is a perfect politician. I don't. Th- I mean, like people talk Tony about. Tony. Like, okay. Sorry. Walked into that one with you. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, people talk about representation, but the community I represent is incredibly diverse. Right? You could not find somebody who would who would match every single point of it. And I don't have. So I, I've always started from the perspective: it's not my job to try and mirror or echo people; it's to try and be an advocate for them. Um, in that, the skills that you bring to it, the, the way in which you approach it, is, is, is everything. Um, things I've learned in other parts of my life through being a youth worker, through being a counsellor, through, yeah, being an academic, I've tried to bring into that. But, you, you know, when we start talking about, well, there's, you know, people have to have had a particular experience, then we exclude that diversity of, of everything. I think there is an issue about people thinking you have to be a certain way in politics, and that's not just an issue that excludes women. It does exclude people from different backgrounds. It does exclude people from ethnic minorities. Um, but I also think, and, and, and people who are disabled as well, but I also think there's something more meaningful, certainly for me, on the left, about saying, um, you know, the reason I joined this political party was because I didn't think it was about where you've come from. I thought it was about what you could contribute to society, and that's what really mattered. So 
the notion of a career, I mean, the notion of professionalism in politics, I do think is actually important. And people used to say that when I was a councillor, they'd be like, oh, it's all professional politicians. And you think, we're allocating a budget of 70 million. I do really want people who can add up. I do really want yeah. people who spent the time and have the time to do the, the skill set. Which So, you know, it's getting that balance right about the skills, about the experience, about how open it is for people to take part and, and how people want to take part to get the kind of representative process that we want. I don't think Parliament gets it right. I don't think local government gets it right. But I don't think that's about the individuals who are there. I think it's a broader point about society. Okay, I'm going to take three Sorry. more questions. And if I can please ask one sentence, one question, please. And I will say one. Uh, and one sentence answers. Sorry. And maybe we'll be able to get a few more in. I haven't gone to the balcony yet. If we could just have the lights on the balcony. Is there anyone up there uh, that wants to ask a question? Over there, yes. What's your name? No, over um, right over there. Thank you. Hello. Um, <laughs> Okay, so when you uh, were on question time the other week, was it you that put yourself forward or was it your party and do you think your gender had something to do with it? Uh, no, I, I got asked to do it by the programme. I've done it a, a couple of times now. Um, the first time I did it, I managed to call David Dimbleby Papa because I was making a joke about Papa and Nicole from an advert and I, it was one of those moments where... Like, they film it an hour before it goes out. And I had an hour of thinking, did I just do that? Did I actually just do that? And just really panicking about it. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right. People are Because four out of five people in Parliament are men, and there's a recognition that you need to have women there. The, the greatest stat I know is that if a room is 80% men and 20% women, the men in the room will think it's 50-50. And there is a definite movement right now which kind of goes, yeah, we do need to have women there. Great, we've got a woman there, so there we go. Um, what do you do to change that? You work with other women to bring them forward. You try and challenge those expectations. Yeah, you do push back, sir, if you think you've heard somebody saying something that maybe is about some of the things that put people off because being judged is difficult. Um, and you try and push and say, certainly, that you won't just be the only, only woman on a panel because that's the thing. So when there was a whole thing about the party conferences of people with women-only panels, like two days before the conference... I got a whole load of phone calls from people saying, oh, we'd love you to be... And I was just like, no, because it's too late, because you're clearly doing it because you feel embarrassed. You shouldn't feel embarrassed. There's a huge amount of expertise out there that also happens to be female. You should be looking for it. Is there not, but equally, you know, with any struggle, whether mm. it's race, whether it's sexuality, and, and now with gender, um, that not only do you have to bring you know women along with you... know those things aren't mutually exclusive. Absolutely. But in terms of the way that people campaign on those issues... Yeah. You also have to bring the people on the other side of the fence over. So in terms of campaigning on sexism and the, and the rights of women, it's vital that men are brought along with that debate. And I think sometimes, as we saw tonight, when I didn't think he was being sexist, I think it, the danger is sometimes if you're too passionate in that regard, you actually alienate a huge constituency of people that would come with you. Listen, I, you know what? I'm really sorry if you feel alienated. Let me alienate you further about this. I am not... I am not going to ask for you great, your gratitude to have a more equal society because a more equal society benefits everyone. No, I'm not so asking actually, you No, no, let me finish. Let me finish. I believe in equality. Well but done, when you. I see behaviour like that... No, 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 but I could say exactly the same thing to you. But I'd say, well done for you believing in equality. We're equal in this regard. What we're I'm not, saying though. Is we're absolutely not, though. This is the point. And look, uh, you know, this is what happens day in, day out. You do get people saying, all oh, right, you were there because you were a woman. All oh, right, because you are under 50, all oh, right, because you're blonde. Um, you know, the, the Twitter trolling stuff was hilarious for me, the numbers of people who would... The, and the things that they would say that are just common currency. 
one of the challenges I think we have is that we apologise for saying, why is it 40 years on from the equal pay legislation, women are still earning 20% less than men? Oh, dear. What and we're like, hang on a minute. Societies that are more equal do better economically. They do better socially. Like, it's for men to catch up with that challenge, as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely, but you're, now, you're grouping men together. To there are plenty it. of men that agree with you, and I'm one of them, and I would say the vast majority of men in this room, if not every man, totally agrees with the equality of gender, of sexuality, of race, of class. But this is the thing, is that actually people don't necessarily see it. They don't necessarily see... I, I, I feel quite strongly that my father's generation is more alive to inequality than perhaps my partner's generation or my brother's generation because they think that they're in a room that is 50-50. And actually, so you don't... You know, what is the Everyday Sexism Project doing? It is un, un, uncovering the everyday banality of the sexism, of the comments that you get, of the presumptions that you have to deal with. Actually, unless we fire up feminism now and say we're only 20% of the way there and we're starting to go back in some areas, how on earth did we get to a point where we were having a conversation about sexual etiquette with George Galloway and uh, Julian Assange or legitimate rape? I mean, those are debates I thought we killed in the 1980s. So they come back. So I'm sorry if you feel alienated. I feel frustrated. I feel a, a, a quiet anger that we're not making progress as quickly as we should do. Because, and I feel a quiet anger that people want to kind of say, you know, well, look, this page three thing, is that really the biggest deal? I mean, come on, haven't you got bigger fights no, to fake? I'm not saying you're saying that. No, no, but plenty of men do disagree I'm not saying that you're saying that, Matt, but I am saying the fierce anger that we have not made the progress that we could have made on gender equality means that I think we have to be resolute about the fact that that changes. And rather than kind of saying to men, look, it'd be terribly nice if you could join us, because I know you kind of care about it too, is to say, what are you doing to say, hang on a minute, did you make a comment about what that yeah. woman was wearing? Where did that come from? I think, I think we're going to we're gonna have to move on, because this could, this could, this could run and run. I think, I think, to be fair, I think both... I think, to be fair, we've covered both sides of the debate on this. Um, I know, but let's just, let's just talk about it afterwards. Uh, maybe a month afterwards. Um, <laughs> Okay, uh, I promise two more questions. I'll take two more. Is there anyone else up there that had a question? Yes, what's your name? Uh, Tony. Tony, what's your question? Andy. Sorry. sorry? Andy. Andy, sorry, Andy. Sorry, it's just force of habit, then. <laughs> Okay, so why are people needing to rely on food banks more Absolutely. and Absolutely. Uh, you know, it is both a source of pride and a source of horror to me that in the last year, um, through a project we've been doing in my local community, so I'm doing this because I can't get to the lights, um, I'm sort of... I look like I'm cupping, I'm cupping my head in fit. Um, <laughs> we have been able to get 300 people involved in campaigning in Walthamstow to tackle the impact of austerity in our local community. Because at the start of 2013, I looked at the stats about what was going to come to Walthamstow. I looked at my casework and I really panicked. I thought, we're not going to survive 2013. We've mobilised as a community. As a result, we've expanded our food bank to be able to, to be in three different locations. We're feeding 30, 40 families a week. Should you be in a position where you need to See, this is a really interesting thing for me. No, we shouldn't. But there's a real question for us on left, because some people have criticised us locally for running 
this work and for, for working in these ways and said what we should be doing is exposing what this government is doing to communities like Walthamstow. I didn't go into politics to let people starve to prove a political point. We need to do both. We need to be saying, what are we doing to protect the communities that we have now, and what are we doing to challenge them at a national level to to change the policy? How many people do you think have a food bank on the doorstep? How many? People in this room, do you think, have a food bank? Probably most of them. Probably most of them. There's a fantastic map that the GLA has put together with Fiona Twycross to show where people's food banks are. We've also got to get people talking about the fact they can get help and there's no shame in it. Just like the payday lenders, this government is relying on the idea that shame will stop people talking about the fact there's too much month at their end of their money. We have to get people talking about the fact that there are families going hungry and that is in the seventh richest country in the, in the world. That's just wrong. How we deal with that in the longer term, because nobody wants hands out. Nobody wants to actually be out of work. They want the dignity. They want the pride. They want the money to be able to decide their own lives. That's the real challenge here. But I have to protect my community as best as I can now so that when we get a Labour government, we're good to go. Because leaving them to fall apart and saying, well, we'll pick up the pieces come the revolution, that's not good enough for me. OK. Um, I'll ta- I'm keen that we haven't taken a question from this side of the room. Uh, gentlemen, right at the back, this is the last question. So one sentence question, please, and, and, and one sentence answer, if that's OK. Uh, we've already had a food bank question, I think. I'll take something else. Um, yes, mate. Well, without being disrespectful, we just sort of had three questions work. on food banks. But... Work. Really good quality work opportunities for everybody. Okay. There you go. Uh, and the final question, is it about food banks? No, it's not. Um, Stella, I, I sympathise with what you say about sexual equality. I just wonder what you think of um, an awful lot of people on the left who've managed to keep very, very quiet about... Um, Universities agreeing with, with segregation in meetings, which Polly Swenby wrote about this week, and why the left seems to have such a problem when it comes to choosing between sexism and culturalism. Why does the left have a problem choosing between sexism and culturalism in one sentence? Uh, <laughs> because actually, you have to look at the un- underpinning. So, people have this debate about the burqa, don't they? And they say, oh, right, you know, this is about, um, a, a, about a, a religion. Well, but it's the same thing, because it's about patriarchy. It's about how patriarchy expresses itself. And it's a bit like female gender mutilation for me, that we have to deal with the underlying cause of the segregation, because actually it's a symptom of something else. So you don't have to be segregated by different religions. There isn't, there isn't that requirement, except when you come to a religious institution, because you're supposed to be thinking about God and no one else. But that people do is about the underlying patri- patriarchy and inequality in that society. We have to tackle that. We have to get people to engage in that debate. Because if we don't, then even if we deal with the symptom, something else will come along. So, just very quickly, would you ban the burqa? No. No, because, I, because we should ban the burqa. Absolutely. It's the most Sorry, sexist, do- it's a coffin as an item of clothing. I actually can't understand why anyone on the progressive left is not against the burqa in all its forms. Ever. Because isn't the most progressive thing to let people wear what they want to wear? If you actually talk to people who wear the burqa and choose to wear the burqa, you want to deal with the cultural assumption that wearing a burqa is, is appropriate. You deal with the patriarchy. You don't blame the women themselves. You don't deny women their right to wear what they want to wear. Well, there we go. <laughs> uh, what a... Uh, a phenomenal, uh, a phenomenal you evening, know, really. Yeah. If women want to wear blue vinyl skirts and they want to wear burkas, a progressive society <laughs> says that's their choice. Absolutely right. Um, well, we, we're going to have to. Gonna, we really are going to have to. Yeah. I mean, I went to the I went to the Cole Frotch George Grove site at the weekend, and I had absolutely nothing on this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely phenomenal, Stella. Wow. Um, <laughs> what an incredible night. 
started out really, uh, I mean, really, of, of all the nights we've had here, I have to say it's been the, the, the most fascinating. It started out sort of uh, jovial, and then the, these questions have, have had, without a doubt, I think, the best debate we've had down here um, at all since the show started. So uh, I can't thank you enough for coming. Thank you. And um, uh, before uh, we all depart, um, I'd please, if we could show our appreciation for everyone else who works on the show, everyone at the St. James's Theatre who makes it work, and everyone at Avalon. We work very hard. And our next two shows, uh, our Christmas special is in two weeks uh, with David Davis, uh, who stood against... Is he coming uh, as Santa? <laughs> I haven't asked him to come as Santa. If he comes of his own accord, that'd be amazing. Um, he, uh, David Davis, who stood against uh, David Cameron, of course, in 2005 for the leadership of the Tory party. I was sat next to Andrew Mitchell the other day, helping him through with his Plebgate case, so still very much at the heart of things. Uh, it's uh, David Davis on the 11th of December. In January the 29th, I'll be joined by Alan Johnson. Uh, the former uh, Labour Home Secretary. So we've got some really big guests coming up. Uh, But before we all leave, I just want to say, tonight you've been a phenomenal crowd as well, and this has been uh, close to the sort of atmosphere we've tried to create that is respectful, for the most part, um, (laughs) that is is informed, but that is passionate as well, and I think that's something that is vital uh, to keeping good political debate going. Before we go, I have to say, please give a massive, massive thank you to our phenomenal guest tonight, Stella (laughs) Creaser. There you go, Stella Creasy, and uh, really did divide opinion in that second half where um, she was asked about her, you know, about uh, whether Ed Miliband would be more popular if he wore blue shiny trousers. I didn't think it was sexist at the time. It's something that I've ruminated on since. Um, I think some of the audience agreed with Stella, some of them didn't, and I think um, as, as the second half went on, um, as, as, was, as happened with a lot of the shows, actually, different sections of the audience sort of go with uh, and then against um, each guest. But that was certainly the most polarised uh, I'd seen the audience down at the St James Theatre. Um, but it was a fascinating night and uh, certainly one of the most entertaining guests uh, we've had uh, at the political party. The next show is David Davis. That'll be out next week. An absolute corker again, uh, and a very funny man, so you've got that to look forward to. In terms of the next live shows, Alan Johnson's my guest on Wednesday, the 29th of January. Uh, the former Home Secretary could have been leader of the Labour Party. Um, should have been deputy leader, of course, lost out narrowly to Harriet Harman in 2007. But an all-round good bloke, well-liked, very funny, and I'm sure it gives a, a great insight into his career and the future of the Labour Party. We're just sorting out the guests for February, and then the guest at the end of March is Alistair Campbell. So that's something to look forward to as well. Uh, I'll keep you updated on guests. I'll get the podcast out uh, more regularly. And uh, I'm going to try and interview more MPs in between the podcasts. Um, I'm going to try and interview all 650 sitting members of Parliament. So I've done a handful already live. But I realise a month, and obviously when it's been, as it has been over Christmas, more than a month in between shows, that I need to be doing it more regularly. So I'll try and get MPs over a pint or in their office uh, so that it becomes more of a regular show. But uh, the tickets for the live shows do so out quite quickly. Um, they're really great nights, uh, and the audiences down there are always magnificent, and the guests, obviously. Every single one of them so far has been great. Uh, so the next one, David Davis, will be out next week. Cheers. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.